0: Welcome to FaithCast, a podcast presented by Publishers Weekly. FaithCast is a series of interviews with authors who write about inspiration, spirituality, and religion. I'm Lynn Garrett, Senior Religion Editor for Publishers Weekly. I'm talking today with Ajahn Brahm about his new book, Kindfulness, a guide to a meditation that is not only mindful, but kindful. Publishers Weekly's review of Kindfulness said that the book's simple, gentle language and short chapters are easy to follow and that the practice might bring some needed peace to a harried world. Kindfulness is being published in January by Wisdom Publications, which is the sponsor of today's Faithcast. After attending Cambridge University, London-born Peter Betts traveled to Thailand in the 1970s to become a Buddhist monk, taking the name Ajahn Brahm. He eventually moved to Australia to help found the first dedicated Buddhist monastery in the Southern Hemisphere. A popular teacher, speaker, and leader in international Buddhism, Brahm is the author of several books, including his latest, Kindfulness. Welcome, Ajahn Brahm.
1: Good day. Welcome.
0: Many people are familiar with mindfulness meditation, which has become quite popular in recent years. What's different about kindfulness meditation? What does it mean to meditate both mindfully and kindfully?
1: Ah, that is like uh, going to McDonald's and how now we can add the fries. Makes it even more delicious because mindfulness without kindness is too dry. It's uh, intellectual. Yeah, you feel things, but you don't know what to do with all those emotions and physical feelings which you are mindful of. And the kindness just gives that extra little piece of zest which makes things really work.
0: How does one prepare to practice kindfulness meditation?
1: Well, the best way to prepare is by a little book called Kindfulness for Majan (laughs) Brahm. I noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, get some instructions first of all. And again, when you are aware of, say, physical feelings or emotional problems, you'll notice the the uh, intensity of the stress or the peace changes. And with the mindfulness, it gives you the feedback so that you begin to notice why those emotional problems get lighter, why they get heavier. And you will find that that ingredient which makes them lighter is called kindfulness of kindness. That which makes it get more tense, more of a problem, is like trying to control them, worrying about them, the opposite of kindness. So mindfulness plus kindness is what actually works, It relaxes you, takes away the stress and brings you to very deep states of relaxation and emotional peace.
0: Uh, you write about these negative emotional states as obstacles to meditation. Can you give some specific examples and maybe talk about a strategy for, for overcoming them?
1: Well, one of the uh, problems which I wrote about in that book was anxiety. So many people have anxiety disorders uh, in today's world. And you can be aware not just of the emotional part of anxiety, but every emotion has a counterpart physical feeling as well. So you can actually feel the anxiety, not in your emotional world, but in your body. And that's usually located somewhere in the chest. So you get to know the uh, physical counterpart to the emotion of, say, anxiety. And once you are mindful of the physical counterpart, you can do something as simple as get your hand and massage that area. And as you massage, say, the area where the anxiety is manifest on your body, you will discover that the anxiety uh, in your body, the physical feeling, it's lesser and lesser and lesser and less. You can feel that happening. And as the physical counterpart to anxiety disappears, ha-ha, so does the emotional part as well. So you can abandon your anxiety. And people do this in hospitals in all sorts of places, and it's very powerful. You
0: urge meditators to be kind to themselves in the practice. How is that different from the way that meditation is usually taught?
1: Well, you know, sometimes people think that meditation is all about concentration. And so meditation retreats become concentration camps with all the negative uh, connotations that word uh, gives you. Far too much force. So I never talk about meditation as being concentration. In fact, the original Sanskrit Pali word does not mean concentration. It means stillness, stillness. And when you get the idea that meditation is relaxing the body, stilling the mind, then it becomes obvious that the force which some people use in meditation is counterproductive. It makes you more tense, more anxious, more stressed, uh, and it doesn't work. So when you think of stillness, if you were, say, a young girl and you had some sort of anxiety, your mom, your mom would come to your bedroom, stroke your head, talk very kindly to you. Her kindness would relax you and make you still. You can go to sleep. And it's the same way that if you're kind to yourself, kind to your mind. Your poor mind, you treat it so badly. Be kind to it, and then it becomes relaxed and still. And all the peace which people seek for through forcing the mind to meditate is actually gained when you're kind to your mind.
0: Yes, it struck me that you encourage people to forgive themselves for, quote-unquote, failing to meditate properly.
1: <laughs> Look, we're all failures. I am included. I fail many, many times. But The point is, there's nothing wrong with being a failure in life. In fact, people who are successful have far more stress because they have to keep up a high level of success. I tell all the kids in school, because they're so struggling to pass their exams, I say, well, look, examinations in school, you have to keep taking them until you finally fail. When you finally fail, you don't have to take any more examinations. So if you get that failure over quickly in your life, then you have a wonderful, peaceful life afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) The parents don't like me saying that. But isn't it the case? You have to keep on succeeding, succeeding, succeeding until eventually you fail. So that's even the publishing industry. And once you can fail, then you can relax and have some peace. It's okay to fail. And in fact, we never call that failure anymore. We call it forward failing. Hmm. In other words, you learn from it. It's life. It's how we grow. So when you allow your mind to fail, but you're always uh, aware and find out why, you learn from it. You don't hit yourself and beat yourself up and give up. You learn, ah, I understand why it didn't work. And from that experience, from that learning, you grow.
0: What are you hoping that the book will accomplish for people?
1: Uh, I'm hoping that it will take away people's stress and they will become more friendly to themselves. Because one of the reasons why, say, people try to meditate and they get restless, what is their mind trying to run away from? They're trying to run run away from you, the one who's meditating, because you have not treated your mind in a very good way for all these years. Always being too hard on yourself, too critical. Not being kind and loving yourself. You know, even in any relationship, we all make mistakes in a relationship, but the relationships which last are the ones which can forgive one another, learn, and just become better human beings. We admit our frailties. I'm going to add a little story here, one of my favorite stories. If you ever want to find out what I mean by perfection, so you understand what failure is, what success is, then have a walk in a forest. If you walk in a forest, find a perfect tree for me, one which is dead straight, not leading to the left or the right, with all the branches in place, with all the leaves green, no yellow brown leaves, no leaves which have been eaten by insects and a trunk which has no scars on it. If you can find one of those, it's not a natural tree. It's probably been planted by some government. But in a real forest, all the trees are bent and crooked. They've got branches missing. They've got brown leaves, red leaves, and they've got damage on the bark. And in fact, if you're one of those trees who have been damaged, if you're damaged goods, then you belong to this wonderful forest of humanity. In fact, the more crooked you are, the more perfect, the more lovely, the more beautiful you are. When I go into the forest in the woods, I love the crooked trees, the ones with all these scars on the bark. They make them look absolutely gorgeous. The straight ones, they're not natural. So understanding that what real perfection is will also make you understand that so-called mistakes are part of life that's what make life interesting. If we could only love our mistakes, to appreciate the most beautiful trees in the forest are the damaged ones, then our pork would have achieved its purpose.
0: Hmm, That's true. Our time is coming to an end. Thank you, Ajahn Brahm, for talking with us today.
1: No trouble. Take care and be kindful.
0: Ajahn Brahm's new book, Kindfulness, is being published in January by Wisdom Publications. Wisdom Publications is the sponsor of today's Faithcast. I'm Lynn Garrett from Publishers Weekly. Thanks for listening.